Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as a comeback coach. Guys, welcome back. I love you guys. You're my resilient warriors. Welcome back, my, my dub nation. I love you guys. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode of my friend George. We've been friends for years. What I love about him is not only is he an po amazing podcast host, business accelerator, but he's a great family man. And I think that's the most important thing for me. And he's got a heart as, as big as gold. So, George, welcome to the show, brother. I'm, we finally got a chance to do this. I know. And, and, and that is on me. I have been on the road and then I just got stuck in Texas for six extra days and they couldn't physically get me home for six days. So it's been it's been fun navigating that to get on the calendar but i'm stoked and by the way i love the podcast intro that thing got me all fired up and i was ready to go so yeah. you nailed it and that was my brother william matry he put that all together he's also a veteran so crushing william Thank thanks you. for your service buddy so let me ask you a question before we even get started because i do have a traumatic brain injury and if i don't ask the question i'll forget it what is your definition of resiliency yeah, uh, and we're we're brothers in traumatic brain injuries. I had seven of them, so I uh, I have the same. Got to write it down and uh, remember it. So for me, God, I feel like if you asked me this question every day uh, up until about a year ago, I'd give you a different answer. But now I'll give you the same answer every single time. And for me, uh, I would define resiliency as continuing to choose to take a bite out of my future from a place of love, even when I don't want to. Repeat that. Resiliency Repeat for that me. For the people yeah. in the back. Yeah. Resiliency for me is choosing to take a bite out of my future based on who I want to be, irregardless of how I feel from a place of self-love. And so, you know, I used to think resiliency was being able to suffer more or work harder or um, outgrind or not feel or do all of those things, but they were just hiding spots. And, you know, Mike Tyson said it, right? Like, as long as you get knocked down nine times and you stand up that 10th, but I think everybody goes so quick to that they stood up, but they don't ask why they stood up. And there's no point in standing up It's if it's because you think you're failing or you think you're going to lose it or you think that anything bad happened. Like, when you choose those moments resiliency is choosing yourself first, right? It's not about like, oh, I have to do this or I'm going to fail. It's like, wow, this is what I want. This is the path ahead of me. I have the ability to take this bite. And every day I choose to take this bite, I am being resilient. And I failed for so long because things would get hard, right? The PTSD would spoil in. I'd have memory loss from TBI, get frustrated. And my answer was always like, oh my God, you're, you're so dumb. Like, just get back to work and boom, boom, boom. Or yeah, you're just broken or you're boom. And, and it, I was missing the most important part, which was me. And I can tell you that resiliency on paper for entrepreneurs, they're convinced they're resilient, but they're spending their time suffering and all the things that aren't going to move the needle. And so I think resiliency, when you define it, you also have to understand that in order to be resilient, you also have to have clarity and intention. Because if you're just resilient about the wrong things, you're going to get more of them. And so for me, before I go to resiliency being like, oh, I can out suffer, or I can out pain. If I'm going to out suffer somebody, I'm going to make sure that I'm out suffering on the thing that's actually going to make me better in the future, not the thing that I'm running away from in the past. 
I love that. Now I gotta make a confession to you. Uh December 28th last year, yep. I'm listening to the Mind of George podcast. And I never thought because I hear so many people say, you know, I'm this year I'm gonna have my word is so and so or whatever. And I'm, I always said, you know what? That's bullshit. That's hokey. It doesn't work. But I listened to your podcast on the 28th, and I'm like, all right, my I'm picking two words for this year. And those two words have been intention mm-hmm. and attention. Yeah, oh, those are good. And those are my two. And because I listen to the Mind of George podcast, my business has 10x just because of those two words was intention and attention. Because a lot, I think a lot of business owners, they work on their business, but not in their business. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to put that out there. I wanted to say thank you because if it wasn't for you, well, and and I'm gonna I want to support you in that. And first off, I want to acknowledge you for like being open about that because that that's the first step, right? Like for me too, right? Like I'm 40 years old. I'm covered in tattoos. I'm in the best shape of my life, right? Like I was a badass marine, a badass fitness dude, and it's so easy to be like, oh, that's so hokey, right? It's so hokey. It's so oh, that'll never work, right? But if we if we delineate it down and we, and we take the fact that, let's say most people listen to us are veterans or can relate to veterans in some sense of term. When we went to boot camp, when we joined the military, we spent our lives doing things that we didn't want to do, but doing them with excitement, but we never did anything accidentally, right? We never put soldiers or Marines on anything unless we were fucking with them for fun. But when we're doing anything critical, it was always, even if we didn't want to do it and we were scared of it and it was hell, 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 we made sure that we were crystal clear on what it is that we were doing. So we had the best chance of success. Right. And so you think about like working out and a lot of veterans, you know, they go one a few ways when they get out. I know for me, I kept this like elite fitness until it broke me. And then I went the other way and put 80 pounds back on. Right. And it was like this, massive roller coaster. But when we come to physical fitness, we know that you can talk about it all day. You can write it down on a piece of paper all day, but until you go put your boots on the pavement, you're not going to get anything. And if we're going to get into shape and we were joined in the military and we were trained in the military, we're like, oh, I want to lose 50 pounds. I want to start running again. We're going to get crystal clear on what we're doing. We're not going to go for an unknown run for an unknown distance for an unknown time. We're going to set our intention that, hey, in 90 days, I want to be back to running a mile. So today I'm going to run for 10 minutes. And then next week I'm going to run for 20 minutes. That's intention, right? So I think all too often people go to hokey because it's the word and the label instead of understanding what it actually is. And when it comes down to success, success is predictable. Like success is measurable, right? There's not a business that exists right now that doesn't have a model laid out that how it can be achieved right? There's not a fitness goal that you have that we can't lay out a path to get you closer. What I find is that when I used to be super resistant to the labels, I was making the label wrong because I didn't want to do the work underneath the label. Because for me, what intention meant was that I had to be really clear on where I wanted to go or who I wanted to be. That's the easy part. The second part is I had to be really honest about where I was. And that was the part that I struggled with for the longest, because in order for me to change, I would first have to accept that I got out of shape, that I got overweight, that I put 30 to 40 pounds on. 
But if I'm in that bucket and I'm being mean to myself, I'm like, oh, you're such a failure. You're such a fuck up. No matter what workout I do, no matter what I change, I'm going to end up right back here because until I can fully, fully own like, hey, okay, cool. I'm not where I want to be, but I know where I want to be, but I have to accept where I am. Intention all of a sudden just becomes what's the workout to get me one step closer, right? And when we have that clarity, that clarity is what makes the game so hard and so easy at the first time, at the same time, because if you tell me you want to lose 30 pounds and you need to lose 30 pounds in the next six months, your life depends on it. It doesn't matter to me if you like the workout or not, you have to do it. But when it comes to business and entrepreneurship, we're our own boss and nobody holds us accountable and we make excuses for ourselves. And so if we're upset, if we're being mean to ourselves, we're not going to do those behaviors. So it's really, really important to understand when you say those words, what they are. All it really is, is you're saying that you want to do this thing. You want to achieve this thing. You want to be this thing. And then in that space, you're sitting down to map out a potential workout that could get you there. That's intention, right? My intention is to do these things consistently until I achieve this goal. And then your second word, which is so powerful, is that once you set your intention, you know that that's the path. And so then in your day, you can watch your attention and see where it's going. And if you tell me that you want to lose 30 pounds, but it's more important to watch a YouTube video for 30 minutes than it is to go outside for a walk for 30 minutes. Well, your attention is in the wrong place because that attention going to that YouTube video isn't going to get you to the place that you set your intention on going. And that's where you can self-correct and self-adjust. But once again, the most important part here is if you catch yourself watching a YouTube video instead of your walk, what will most people think? oh my God, fuck, I'm doing it again. Look, I'm watching the YouTube video. I should be working out. And then they keep watching the YouTube video, right? They never stop and go to the workout because they're making themselves wrong. But instead, if you're like, oh, wow, I set my intention that I wanted to lose 30 pounds and I said it's important and I haven't worked out today, but yet I'm watching a YouTube video. The moment you can see that your attention has swayed, you can also find why it swayed. And what distracted you? And you can be like, okay, cool. I'll watch the YouTube video, but first I got to get my workout in, right? And and for me, the challenge that I had for so long, and I'm talking like 39 years of struggling with this, is that I overcomplicated the solution. But you and I both know at the end of the day, it's chop wood and carry water. But if I'm chopping the wrong wood or carrying the wrong water to the wrong place, it's not going to get me to the goal. And so for me, like I struggled with mindset for so long and focus for so long, not because I didn't know what to do. It's because I allowed all the other noise to confuse me or distract me from doing the thing that I set my intention on. And so I wanted to say that because I'm the guy that was hokey, right? Like I'm the guy that was like, this stuff doesn't work. Like, why would I have to work on myself? Why would I have to do breath work? Like, why should I talk about my feelings? And now I'm the guy that's like, breathe more, talk about your feelings more. This is the only thing that matters. And I've just had enough evidence at this point to show me that every time I do this, when I set my focus for the year or I set a goal or an intention that everything that follows massively, massively supports me as long as I protect it. So I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge you, number one, for being and owning the fact that it was hokey because I still call it hokey and make fun of it to this day, but yet I go do it. Mm -hmm. Number two, 
is that you picked two that are probably the two best things for anybody to focus on, which is you getting crystal clear on like where you want to be in the future, which allows you to come back now and say, okay, if that's where I want to be, and those are the things that are going to get me there, where am I giving my attention now? And now you have a barometer to say, if I'm giving my attention to other areas than this thing I set my intention on, I'm not going to achieve it. But if I reshift my focus and I do these things consistently, then I'll get closer to that goal. And I think it's important for everybody listening because when you get into emotional states and myself included, like with PTSD, right? I've spent 12 years of my life eradicating most of my wounds, right? Plant medicine, breath work, therapy, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, processing therapy, EMDR, like you name it, I've done it. Stem cells, I've done surgeries, I've done all of it. And no matter which way I slice it, no matter which way it goes, once I remove the feeling, once I remove the trigger, once I remove the thing, what I'm still left with is where am I about to spend my time? Mm -hmm. And what I got stuck in so long is when those triggers came, those emotions came, right? When I got depressed or when I wasn't sleeping, because I didn't set my intention or make a plan for when things were good. When things got bad, I didn't have anything to fall back on. And so then it just kept getting worse. And so then my mindset would get worse. My depression would get worse. And then anything I tried, I couldn't get out because I was stuck in the pill bottle. But when you set your intention and you're like, hey, I know my life is hard sometimes. I know I'm not where I want to be. I know I'm going to get punched in the face. I know I'm going to have bad days. But on those days, if that happens at minimum, here's what I'm going to do. That's how we eradicate the collateral damage that's caused from those emotional swings by setting our intention and then having it as a fallback plan to know that like, hey, when I get tired or I'm in the middle of the race and I think I'm going to lose, oh yeah, that's what I said. I said this was happen. When it happens, here's the three things I want to do. And I think that's more important than anything because for me, when it comes to having a positive mindset, it's not about that you wake up feeling like you're riding rainbows and unicorns with care bears kicking, you know, hearts out at you, right? It's that no matter how you feel, you have clarity that there's actions that you can take that will eradicate that feeling or give you more evidence. And so for me, mindset and having like a good mindset or a positive mindset isn't because you wake up feeling great. It's because you wake up with evidence that you can make it great no matter how you feel. And that evidence is those pieces that you commit to irregardless of how you feel. And we've all done it when we're like, I'm not working out today. I'm so tired and blank. And then you just do it anyways, right? And then the moment you're five minutes in, you feel like Superman, right? You have more clarity than you've ever had. You feel better than you've ever had. And those moments are what develop the mindset. And so for me, mindset comes down to having enough evidence to look at that no matter what comes up in my life, I can bite it down and I can chunk it down and do it because I've been spending my days, irregardless of how I feel, making those movements or taking those actions. So I know that was a little bit of a rant, but it felt called to share with based on what you said. No, I love it. And, um, you know, I everybody knows I'm only a ninth grade dropout. Um, but, you know, like we said earlier, I've done a, over a thousand interviews. I've read over 6,000 books. So, um, but I realize that, you know, I'm in recovery 34 years. Congratulations. Uh, no drinks, no alcohol, whatever. But I know that if I'm hungry, 
mm-hmm. angry, lonely, or tired, I'm about to fuck up somewhere. Yep. So, somewhere yep. something bad's going to happen because the, one of those four will usually send me down a path. But now I know, if, I know, okay, I'm starting to feel a certain way. It's time for me to shift something. Or my wife will say, you need to get to a meeting. You're being stupid. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. So, and, but, and, but and sometimes we have to, you know, yeah. start saying, okay, I'm, even, you know, like I, I was not a Grant Cardone guy from the beginning. I didn't like him until I heard this story about him come, overcoming addiction. And I'm like, I get it. I'm like, now I get it. But he always talks about that if you can conquer the man in the mirror, you can conquer everything, but you have to be, you have to be, you know, real with yourself. You have to realize, okay, this is where I suck. This is where I'm great. But, you know, be, being, you got to be real. And you ha- and when you look in the mirror, you can't be lying to yourself. Well, and you know, like if I know if I'm 80 pounds overweight, I can't say, well, I'm going to be at the Mr. Olympia next year. Well, it's there's, not, there's, there's, two, there's two parts and, and full credit to Grant for saying that. And I, and I agree the, the two parts of this, number one, is that eventually, no matter what, everybody listening to this, yourself, myself, everybody included, will fully understand and believe in their body and their core that the only thing that matters is the relationship with the person in the mirror, the man or the woman looking back at you. That's it. That is the end of the game. That is the secret. When you have figured that out and not figured it out like, oh, I think, like when you wake up every day knowing that your success truly boils down to how you see and interact with yourself all day, you've taken the red pill and you can never go back in the matrix. Like that is the finish line. That is the end. And then you spend the rest of your life building a relationship with that person in the mirror. But there's a very important part about the relationship in the mirror. In order to succeed, you have to look in the mirror with love, irregardless of what looks back at you. And that is the secret. That's the difference between repeating the patterns and having them stick, right? And you know this in recovery. I've been through many 12-step programs. I've been through AA, SLAA, SAA, CODA. Like I've been through it. I went through the narcotic side. And the reason they work, and I have my own quips about them, and I I would Mm -hmm. change them if I could, right? But that's a whole different podcast. But one of the reasons that they work so effectively and the ones that work so effectively and the ones that stick to 35 years, 34 years of sobriety are not because they look in the mirror and they see everything in their past like they did something wrong. It sticks when they look in the mirror and they have forgiveness and love for who they were in the past, which allows them to make a different choice today. And so when you go to these meetings, when you're in these meetings, it's like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. The entire container is designed for you to be expressed and witnessed in all your raw truth, right? Like the darkest of the dark stays in that room. But what that does is that allows you to leave that room, look in the mirror and see who you really are because you don't feel judged anymore or you're not making that up because you've been witnessed by other people. And so this level of the relationship with the man or the woman or the person in the mirror It's not that you're willing to look at it. It's that you're willing to look at it with love. And right for me, I like to use metaphors all the time. And so if I owned a NFL team, if I owned the New England Patriots and I was trying to get to the Super Bowl this season and win the Super Bowl and Tom Brady was my quarterback and Tom Brady is missing a couple of passes, 
I'm not going to say you're a failure. You're such a horrible quarterback. You shouldn't be on this field anymore. But we're both going to have a conversation of like, hey, maybe we should work on this. Maybe we should adjust this. Maybe we should tweak this. And the moment we do, we get back on the field and make those adjustments. That's what the greats do, right? We look in the mirror and we find opportunity for growth, not faults. And so I want to say this for people listening because looking in the mirror is an incredible thing, but it's what you see looking back at you that determines if you're going to win or not. And I will tell you, and I will tell you this as a barometer, I tell you that if you look in the mirror in the morning and what you see back smiling back at you, you love, and you love like it was your own child, like it was the most beautiful, loving thing in the world, no matter what you do that day, it's going to work. But if you look at it back and you're like, God, I'm so fat, I'm such a failure, I'm such a boom, number one, you're not seeing yourself at all. Because that moment, you can't define your entire existence in that reflection based on that moment. Just because you're overweight, just because you missed a pass, just because your number one client left doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't advocate all the other things that got you here. It doesn't take any of those away. It just gives you an accurate view of where you are today in comparison to where you would like to be. And the only way to collapse that gap, the only way to grow is to not make it wrong right? Like if I'm going to stand on an Olympia stage and I come in second and then my coach is like, Hey, you missed legs and you missed arms. If I'm like, okay, I'm such a failure. I'll never train arms and legs again. I'm going to go from second to last. If I go into like, okay, well, here's what I did for my legs. Here's what I did for my arms. What worked? And he's like, keep this, keep this. I'm like, what's missing? And he's like, add this, add this. And then I can say, wow, look, I can get better here. I can get better here. I can get better here. And I take that path. I have a chance from going to second to first. But only if I can see the opportunity in front of me as something positive. And for me, the way that my PTSD laid out and like for me, when I was triggered, the feelings in my body were that I was unsafe and out of control. And my PTSD looked like the fact that I took all my Marines there and back, and then I lost 29 of them to suicide in the United States, right? How did I make it to Afghanistan back, but I lose them here, right? I felt out of control. And so when things would trigger in my body, when it would show up, I would feel out of control and I would just freeze. Like I would stop. I would over-ruminate. I wouldn't do anything. And it was actually making it worse because the things that I could control that would eradicate it or make it feel better, I wasn't doing. And so I would then look, you're such a failure. Look, you could have done this. You could have done that. But all that did was keep me stuck in that moment. And so I had to be willing to look at the fact that I only wanted things to stay the same because I was scared, right? I wanted to get out of the military and just give me a paycheck for the rest of my life, right? Like I wanted like this to last forever, this to last forever. But I also forgot that I grow every day. And there's no finish line for me. Like just because I'm at the elite level of my fitness, there's always another level. Just because I have the best business, there's always another level. It doesn't mean that I have to go chase that level. It doesn't mean that I have to pursue that level. But to think that who I am today is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life is a flawed thought in the get-go. It takes away my free will. It takes away my choice. And then it disempowers me to do nothing. But truth be told, when I was fat, the fork didn't make me fat, right? Like I picked up the fork, put the food on it and stuck it in my mouth. And then I continued to chew and swallow it. And I ate the whole thing, all of them, right? I can't blame the fork. And for me, maybe I can't cold turkey those meals. Maybe I can't cut out sugar right away. But can I choose to have it two less times a week? 
And that would make me better off than I was if I wasn't. Yes. But I have to celebrate that. And I have to see that as progress. I have to see that as a celebration. And one of the things that I had to learn is just because I was great at something or just because I was the best in the world at this or I was great here doesn't mean that when I get on a new field that I get to be the star quarterback again. I might have the skill set, but I have to learn a new game and I have to get right back into the weeds, right? I have to get back into my breath work, back into my business, back into my body. And so for me, it's just about this consistency over and over when you're looking in that mirror and you're really, really looking at it, you have to understand that at the end of the day, you will only win if you see what's in that mirror from a place of love. Because when you can see that, you don't see faults. Like when I was overweight, right? I've lost 60 pounds recently and it's off forever now because I didn't do it intentionally. But I had to really sit with what was coming up for me. And I was like, why am I holding on to this weight? I've been struggling and struggling and struggling. And the answer was simple. Uh, it's because I was being emotionally mean to myself. I was I was emotionally eating because I wasn't sharing my emotions. Like I wasn't sharing or processing my truth. And so I would just be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, it's fine. And I'd try a new workout. I'd try a new diet. I'd try a new boom. But I was trying to add things into a recipe that I was already unhappy in. And it wasn't working. And then I got really, really honest. Really honest. And for me, that was, I don't want to be a competitive athlete. Like, I don't want to be judged on my body. I don't care what I look like. I want to be able to play with my son when he's 70 years old and I'm still doing a backflip on the trampoline, right? Which just for the record will make me 103. Like, that's my goal, right? And like that started to excite me because it was not about like something that was broken or what I looked like. I was like, I want to functionally be able to spend as much time with my children as possible. And so I sat with it and sat with it. And what I was realizing, Richard, is I was like putting on my varsity jacket from high school, pretending I could still play football, right? I was like, no, I used to be this and I used to be this. And I, but I held the world record and I was a competitive CrossFitter, but I wasn't willing to look in the mirror and be like, well, who are you today? And I was like, wow. And today I was like, God, oh, I'm a father, right? Like that matters to me more than anything in the world. I'm a coach, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't need to be a competitive athlete to do those things. I need to like be who's going to help me win. And so all I did is I was like, I'm just going to walk every day, right? And then here we are six months later, and this is hilarious to me. I'm the most ripped I've ever been. I'm the strongest I've ever been. I've only been in the gym like maybe nine or 10 times. And it's all about functional fitness for my son and me being able to play with him. But it was because I was willing to really sit down and say, okay, I know I used to want these things. I know I used to say these things. I know I used to tell people these things. But those things aren't important to me anymore. What's important to me? And when I got really clear on what was important to me, and I removed all the pressure, and I removed all the expectations, and I honored me, everything got easy. I didn't make any diet changes, right? I'm still eating. I ate so much chocolate chip ice cream last night, like it would hurt for you to eat that much. And I actually needed the calories, right? And I was just like pounding it. But when I used to eat like that, my body would hold the weight. I would hold it around my midsection. I'd be tired and I'd be sluggish. And now I eat however I want. And then after like a minute, my body's like, oh, that's enough. You're good. And then I'm training and I'm staying in my habits. And it's only because when I looked in the mirror, I didn't make it wrong. I didn't make it bad. And I looked at it and I started crying because I'm like, that's what six years of lying to myself did. It made me feel like this and look like this to where I was just trying to get out and get out and get out. And I just had to surrender. 
And when I surrendered, everything started to fall into place. And now it feels massively, massively easy. So I don't know. Those are just some thoughts I had. I'll shut up now. No, I, I love it because, and I'm just, me, I think me and you, we could probably just talk for 10 hours mm -hmm. straight, mm -hmm. like a big Joe Rogan podcast. But I, but I think what would happen is you would talk for like an hour and then I would talk for an hour and then you would talk for an hour, right? Like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I was with GNC for over 30 years um, and I worked with players from the NFL, Major League yep. Baseball, WWE. And if they wanted help, the first thing I would ask was, you know, what's eating you? It's not what you're eating. Nope, it's what's eating it's, you. It's what's eating you. That's that is such you. a good question, dude. You know? Oh my god, that's such you know, a good it, cause, question. Because then you know, then then we'll know why you're eating this way. If if you're stressed, I'm a stress eater. That's what yep. I do. Yeah, and I come from a big Italian family. Everything is food. So well, whether it's let's let, but let's be honest. Let's be honest. If we were in Italy and they were making it there, we could eat as much as we want and we wouldn't gain weight. It's only the Americanized versions that ruins it. Yeah. But, you know, like, like you're saying, you know, like a lot of us, you know, mil prior military, first responders, a lot of us are drug struggling with PTS. Um, yep. post I call it post-traumatic growth. I don't uh, I don't call it PTSD because it's not I, I don't have a disorder. Um, Me but either. A lot, you know, hence, hence, you and I are on the same page about the 12 step program. Now, you know what my one gripe is, is I won't label myself as something. So, you know, a, a lot of veterans, uh, let's talk about being a veteran. Like you said, you, you, I love my Marines, by the way. Um, I love the mindset of the Marines. You guys have the best uniform, hands down, period. Yep. End of story. But I think I that's the, the only thing that we have the best at is the uniform, though, because I should have joined the Air Force. <laughs> but, but I love that, you know, my son accidentally said, hey, there's an ex-Marine. I was like, no. What's the Marine? <laughs> You know, once a Marine, always a Marine. But I, I love the mindset of a Marine. I love that mm -hmm. mindset. So, like you said, you, you lost a bunch, you, a bunch of guys when you got home. Yep. Dealing with, oh, for me anyway, I can't talk for anybody else. Dealing with survivor's guilt. Yep. Um, also, dealing with um, moral injury, mm -hmm. which is something I don't, I, I think I'm the only show that we ever talk about moral injury. First time I've heard it talked about on a show. I've had side conversations, but yeah, that's a big one. Because you know, and I and and somebody will ask, well, what is moral injury? And I tell them, veterans and first responders see shit and do shit that no normal human being should ever have to do. Yep. And then usually when we get out of the military, when it's all said and done, a lot of us, like myself, sitting looking at the bottle of a whiskey, bottle of whiskey and a revolver in our mouth because we were, we don't talk. We don't have anybody to talk to anymore. Nope. Once we're out, we're done. And like my friend Sergeant Nick Valentine said, you know, once you step off base, military doesn't give a shit about you. Nope. Your, your phone stops ringing. Friendships are gone. Finances are gone. And now you don't have a mission anymore. So talk about a little bit about your military service yep. and then. Yeah what your transitioning was like. Yeah. I, I have an unpopular opinion on this one too, by the way, because you just said something that, that reminded me and, and you know, that is true. Like when you step off base, like they don't give a shit about you, but I also won't let veterans believe bullshit to think that they ever gave a bullshit about you in the first place is a lie that you're telling yourself because none of us were recruited. We joined 
and we willingly said, this is our best option. This is what we're choosing to do. And it's so fucking convenient when you get out that you're like, oh, they neglected me. No, motherfuckers. The entire point of your existence in the military was to teach you how to be a self-sustaining weapon at every level. And now you want to play victim when you get out and think that they owe you something. No, you owe yourself to advocate for yourself and to extract as much support as you can. But they don't owe a shit. And to think that they ever cared is just a falsehood in the first place. I am under no suspicion of that whatsoever. And I'm only successful and happy because I didn't wait for the military. I advocated for myself, which is what they taught us how to do. And that is us getting out and realizing that you can remove the label of Marine, soldier, Air Force, or whatever, but you still have to do the work every day to get the results that you want. And that hard line is a hard line that people fall into because they're so excited about getting out or so resentful about the military, so whatever, that they get out and they shove their thumb up their ass and they wonder why things in their life don't work. Everybody goes through the feelings. It sucks. It fucking sucks. And unfortunately, the only way that you win is when you realize that nobody's coming to save you. You have to save yourself. And so for me, my military career was supposed to be my life. I was homeless at 13. So when I forged my parents' signature to join the Marine Corps, I had one piece of paper in my house and it said, do 30 years as a Marine and then hand out smiley face stickers at Walmart. That's the only thing that was written on that paper. It hung up in my house every single day that I was a Marine. That was it. I knew that if I made it 30 years, like I had made it, I'd broken generational trauma. I'd made something of myself. Like that was my goal. And I did not like it, right? Like I loved being a Marine. I loved my Marines. And the longer I was in, the moral injury of being committed to something that I didn't agree with took its toll on me. And so I ended up doing about 13 years total of active duty. Um, 2004, 2005, I was deployed to Somalia, got exercise-induced compartment syndrome and almost lost my legs. So I had to relearn how to walk again, get back in full duty saying I never would, and then ended up in Afghanistan, got seven concussions in three years. So seven traumatic brain injuries, right? And then you stack the PTSD on top of it, you know, other things, shrapnel wounds, all that stuff. Um, and I'd say it was about year 10 that I knew that like, okay, I don't really agree with this, but I had sunk cost bias at this point. Right. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm halfway to 20. I'm an E6, I'm an E7 select. Let's go. And I had every intention on riding my contract all the way out. Right. I was going to do at least 20 and I was a fast track, right? Like I was E6 in six years in the Marine Corps. Um, and so I was going. And then after Afghanistan, uh, with the head injuries that got taken off the table and that wasn't on my radar. Like the, me not being healthy was not an option. Right. But then I started passing out when I was driving, I started having bleeding on my brain, fluid on my brain. And so shit got dark pretty quick. And then all of a sudden they're like, you're on a med board. And I'm like, huh, well, huh what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're most likely going to get medically separated. And I was like, separated, like no benefits. No. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, and the only thing I had going for me is I was crossfitting at the time and eating paleo, right? I was taking care of my body and I was trying to heal. And so I just decided I was going to post about it on the internet every day. That's how I became a food blogger. It was not by design. It was not because I wanted to be a food blogger. It was that I needed an outlet. And 
I realized that the military wasn't going to give me anything. I basically had six months to figure out how the fuck I was going to survive. Now I'd saved up some money. I had a comfortable, you know, probably a year of living in the bank and I knew I'd get my, you know, 80% or whatever out the door, cover my mortgage. Right. But other than that, I didn't have anything. And I knew what they were going to do. They were going to stick me in a room of PowerPoint presentations for a week. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was it. They weren't going to do anything for me. And so I realized that this was coming and I didn't know when it was coming because it was up at the sec def and it was my third limb do board. And so it wasn't a normal process. Like this thing was going through red tape, red tape, red tape. And they're like, at any moment you could be out. And I didn't know. And so I started controlling what I could control. Right. And we, they taught us this in the military, shrink your world as small as possible and then take the next bite. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to leverage all of this. And I started in the office when I was in my med board, I'm like, all right, what are all my accolades? What are my records? Let me get this in order. Let me, and I just started like doing an inventory of like all these things that I'd done. And then knowing I was getting out, I was like, I should probably start documenting all my injuries, right? I need to talk about this now. I need to talk about this. And then with any extra moment I had, I just kept teaching myself how to cook, posting it on the internet and asking people questions. And then eventually about a month before I got out of the military, someone's like, you should make a recipe ebook. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And they taught me how, and I made it. And my first ever digital product made a million dollars. And when I did that, it wasn't because I made that product. It's because every day for a year, because my limb do board took about a year, I posted on the internet for free that I wanted to help. I asked people how I could help and I helped while I was still an active duty full-time Marine working from 4.30 in the morning until 7.30 at night. And I was blogging from 7.30 at night till 10 p.m. and then doing it again the next day. And so I had set up an opportunity for myself. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know what it was going to look like. But if you fast forward, two years later, I was a 22-week New York Times bestselling cookbook author Then a year later, I had the number one app in the world and I had a million followers on social media. And yet I'd never been an entrepreneur, never been to business school, never done any of that. I just took the same mindset and the same focus and I applied it over to something to know that I couldn't just get out of the military and stop. I didn't get to just take six months off. Like my life wasn't going to run itself. Like nobody was going to come do this for me. And the transition fucking sucked. Like, let me just be blunt about it. It sucked. My med board came back at 80, 20, 80, 80, uh, 80 VA, 20 DOD. And they're like, yep, 13 years of service. You're fucked. Your brain's bleeding. You can't walk. Good luck. And I was out. And they're like, you can fight this if you want, but you're going to have to stay in for six more months. And I made a decision that I was going to get out and I was going to do it. And so I got out and I advocated on both sides. I kept going as an entrepreneur and I stayed in the VA and it was hell. I went through five psychologists in a month and a half. And every time it was like that same wound and same wound. And my emotional health was not good. I was not in a good place, but I knew quitting was not an option. And so I kept working on my business. And then with any moment I had, I worked on myself. And it took me a year in the VA. And I mean, I lived 10 minutes from the VA. I was there almost every day. And I was like, I am not leaving until I'm cared for document this. I need this. I need this. No, I'm not leaving. I don't give a fuck. I'm right here. And I fought and I fought and I fought. And then in a year I resubmitted, I was hundred percent permanent in total. And then I still fight the VA like that to this day. 
I still have two physical therapy appointments a week. I have acupuncture every week. I have a massage every week for all my physical injuries. I have my psychologist. Like I still fight to this day. But the thing that I don't understand is that we get trained. Like we literally are taught just by going through boot camp that nothing that put in front of us is going to break us. Nothing. Like you can't break me. And then you go to combat and you make it back. Like what more evidence do we need for me to realize that I'm the only one who can advocate for it? And no, advocating isn't when you feel great. It's not that I woke up like so stoked. Like I'm not sleeping for six months. I'm overdosing on opiates. I'm taking 30 hydrocodone a day. I'm in and out of the psychiatric ward. I'm having spatial disorientation. I'm having night sweats six nights a week. I'm putting loaded pistols in my mouth. But the one thing that I wouldn't do was stop asking for help and stop advocating for it. And I get really fired up about this because everybody wants somebody to care about their own fucking life more than them. And nobody can. But the moment you care about it all the way, all of us can care just as much and get you out so much faster. But you have to advocate. Like, you have to care. And I just can't stand the labels. I can't. Like, I don't call myself a former Marine, a Marine, or a veteran. I'm George who chose to spend 13 years of my life in the Marine Corps, and I am so fucking proud of it. But I'm not a veteran. I'm not a Marine. I'm not. If I'm anything, I'm an incredible man and an incredible father. And those are the labels that I'll give myself every single day because everything else can be changed. I can change any other label. I can take a behavior, take an action that can change any label that's there. And I'm not going to stick myself in that box just so somebody else can label me and I advocate my responsibility in this game. And this is the hard pill. And, and, and this is where it got to. And I'll be really fucking blunt with everybody. I overdosed to take my life. And I had every intention on dying when I took 90 pills with a bottle of liquor to never wake up again. The problem was I woke up. And when I woke up, I had to come to a harsh reality with myself. And that reality is that I didn't really want to die. I was just scared to live. And instead of trying and figuring it out, I kept convincing everybody that I didn't want to be here. But yet, I didn't really do the path to get myself gone now, did I? The fact that I have 48 weapons within 20 feet of me right now and I went to pills tells me everything that I needed to know. And I had to have a come to Jesus talk with myself in the mirror and say, what do you really want? And the answer was, is that I didn't want to die, but I was too afraid to live and I didn't know how. And so now my days are really, really easy because there's the names of 29 Marines that are no longer here on my wall. And I look at them every single day. And I realized that that could have been my fate. But I don't really want that. I don't want less time with my son. I don't want less time with you. I don't want less podcasts. I want more. But that also means I had to suck the oxygen out of my own bullshit and I couldn't sit there anymore and tell you that I wanted to die. I had to be honest and say, hey, I'm scared to live and I'm having these thoughts, but I'm not really going to do it. And I was missing that level of honesty. And when I got to that level of honesty that like, maybe I don't want to die, but I, de I don't want to die, but I don't know how to live. But like, I definitely want to be here. All the shit that was in my way was gone. Oh, well, they're not doing this or they're not having this. Or I, nope, I got to fix it. Right. I, I want to be here. And if I want to be here, that means living is moment to moment doing something that's going to help me live. 
and believing this bullshit. Before we even get any further, I want to dig. They call me G.I. Joe Rogan because I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. But I, first, dig. I want to thank our, thank our sponsors because without them, we wouldn't be here. Um, oh, yeah. Let's get the sponsors because I support them as well. As you see down below, um, my friend David Nordell. Guys, if you don't know that the military is the ultimate minority, everybody's talking about hiring minorities. Why not hire the best minority, the veteran? You, if you hire a veteran that's only been in the military three, four years, the military's already spent over $400,000 training them to be leaders. You should hire them. And if you do hire a veteran, you can get up to $10,000 a year tax credit for hiring a veteran. And also, yeah. if you need any work done in your building to, to maybe put wheelchair accessibility, government pays for it. So, guys, there's no reason you guys shouldn't hire veterans because we are the best at what we do. So make sure if you're interested, if you own a company, you want to get your company vet ready, let us know and we'll get in touch with you. Also, guys, you know, I was with GNC for over 30 years. Um, I love pre-workouts. I love coffee. They all tasted like ass or I had to take a shit after five minutes after drinking the coffee. So I came out with my own coffee. Tw- uh, what? Twice the energy, twice the caffeine, no crash. Best part of it, it's all veteran hand roasted. And 100% of the proceeds go to help Project Die Hard, help veterans struggling with homelessness and PTSD. So instead of drinking that other coffee, which I'm not going to mention who it is, um, if you like coffee with a mission, let me know down below and I'll get you that information so you can drink coffee. And know that every bag that you get is saving a veteran's life. So, guys, thank you so much for that. But now, George, I want to talk to you because... G.I. Joe Rogan, me. (laughs) Me and you, we were both sitting in the med boards. And we're looking around. And you're seeing other people playing chess, cards. And for me, I started reading. I picked up a little purple book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yep. Which I, I've had them on the show. Um, and that's and then I started getting into reading more about personal development and a guy named Mr. Gary Vaynerchuk. And he started me on my whole path. He's a friend of mine, got me started with the podcast. But I had to make a decision. I could be like everybody else in the room and and be woe is me, or I can change my life sitting in that chair. So talk about the decisions you made yeah. while waiting for the med board. And you yeah. weren't like everybody else, playing nope. cards, joking around. You actually uh-huh. started taking it seriously. I did, I did. And I and I think it's huge. And 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 here's here's the thing. Like this just came to me when you were speaking, right? Like everybody wants to be the greats, right? Until they realize how much work is done to become that great. And all of a sudden, it's a sobering statement to say, oh, I want to be the great, right? Everybody looks at LeBron. They looked at Kobe. They look at Michael. And they're like, oh, I want to be able to shoot like that. And I was like, are you going to put in the 180,000 hours when nobody else is looking, when they're playing cards, when they're playing games, when they think this is a joke, when they want the next paycheck, the next prescription, right? And it wasn't easy for me, man. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, I started like that. I didn't. I started in the victim game. I started in the please take care of me game, right? They gave me the 80-20 and I was out. I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going. But it wasn't working. 
it wasn't working and I just kept going. And eventually all of this happened around the same time, the, the, the overdose, then back in the hospital, I realized that I didn't know how to get out, but I needed to do something different. And if I look at it and you take some of the business lessons that I now teach, like the one equalizer that we all have is time. We all have the same amount of it. It's how we use it. Well, if I look in that room of people or any room of people, and I see that we're all in the same situation and the only thing that I have differently or that I have leverage on is time, how can I use it more effectively? That's where you win. And it's not about utilizing all of it. It's about utilizing some of it. And, and, and that one, for me, the transition was an easy one. The hardest one was when I was through like my 11th psychologist and none of it was working. And then I picked up the DSM the actual psychology manual on family systems dynamics. And I started reading psychology books and I started understanding what they were teaching me to try to help me because I knew my story better than anybody. And so I started studying psychology. I started studying trauma. I started studying post-traumatic stress, trauma in the body, other modalities, breath work. And any moment I had, I knew that if I didn't do something, I was going to feel like shit, right? I was going to have anxiety. I was going to have depression. I was going to have all of it. And so I f- figured, well, if I'm going to feel that way anyways, I might as well try to find something with that feeling that's going to get rid of it. And I just started looking and, and I really just understood. And, and I think, and I have to credit my childhood for this, like growing up homeless and without much family support, social services, emancipations, welfare checks, lawsuits, abuse. I learned at a very young age, if I wanted to eat, I had to feed myself, right? If I wanted food, I had to get it. If I wanted somewhere to live, I had Mm -hmm. to find it. And for me, if I'm given a choice and I really don't want to be there anymore, and you tell me that me and all 50 of these guys are in the same boat and we want the same thing and their shit's not working and I'm in the same room, I'm going to try to find a way to make it better, to make it faster, to speed up the process, to figure out how I can get better. Because if not, there's no point in me being there because I don't expect to get full-time results from half-ass effort. But I also think that for everybody listening to this, this isn't about like being a savage or using every moment. It's about realizing that we all are given situations and moments and our perspective is what changes them, right? But nobody's going to come do this for you, right? Your career in GNC, your sobriety, you launching a coffee company, you launching this podcast, you making friends with all of these people. No matter how long you sat there and just prayed, oh, yep, someone's going to launch this podcast for me. So it's never going to happen until you hit record and publish. And so when we have this relationship with time, we understand that we can use it, but you have to have a relationship with yourself to be able to use it. And what it started with is that I realized in that room, Richard, more than anything, is that I didn't want to be like them. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with them. I just realized that I saw it differently. I wanted to feel better faster so I could turn around and help them as well. But I wasn't interested in being a pawn on a board. I wasn't interested in advocating my health to somebody else or to a a system or to a government or to people that I'm just a cog in a wheel. And so that's when I really, really started pushing. And EMDR is what saved my life. And the VA didn't do it, but I couldn't afford it. So I called every EMDR therapist I could find. And then one of them agreed to see me pro bono. 
for $400 a session and agreed to see me until I was better. And that man saved my life, Mark Bertone in Orange County, California. But he didn't call me. I called everybody. And what I was doing was like, hey, I know you only know me a little bit and you're not involved in the VA. This is what I'm stuck with. They're not helping. They keep telling me this. Do you have anything who can help me? Do you have anybody who can help me? Do you know anybody? And I was just so open with everybody about what I wanted. And I wasn't like, please fix this for me. I wasn't like, give me an answer. I was like, hey, do you have any guidance? Do you have any advice? Do you have somebody you could recommend me to? And I just started fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And for me, man, the mindset was simple. I knew if I didn't fix it, I was going to die. Like I was going to kill myself or I was going to die by a matter of circumstance because of all the shitty choices I would make feeling like shit. And I didn't want to die. And so I took that same intensity that I was scared to die with and I used it to live. And I'm like, great. Well, if this is going to make it 1% better, I will fight for my life to make it 1% better because anything is an improvement from this point on. But don't you think like, like for me, once I started getting into self-development, I took a deep dive and had get met, had lunch with Gary and all that stuff. And but he also brought up a good point because I was telling him my backstory, and he's like, "Wait a minute, you've been married. You know, you're going on your third marriage. You've had all these relationships. You've been through all these jobs." And he's like, "Don't you think that you're the common denominator?" <laughs> so you yeah. know. Just like if a person, if they see 12 shrinks, 12 shrinks can't be wrong. You're the, the you're the common denominator. Well, so if, yeah, if we yeah, admit, yeah. So say, if, we, if we don't admit, okay, I'm fucked up. I need help. There's like, I got a friend, they got a kid. He's all messed up on drugs, but he's not ready to get help. And if but you're he, not ready to get help, you can have the best doctors, psychologists, yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to challenge you a bit as well because no one's fucked up and that alone is the loss of the game. And that kid is not not ready. He doesn't feel safe. That's it. It's that the feeling that the drugs give him make him feel better and able to function better than a feeling anywhere else. And yet, we'll label them as they're not ready. We're not the one with the addiction. They are. We can see it clearly. They can't. Nobody is going to drugs because they want to feel more. It's because they want to feel less of what's happening around them. And a human being requires a catalyst of at least 3.1 times greater than their current situation to actually commit to changing. That is from the book, The Catalyst by Jonah Berger, by the way, incredible business book, but also for yourself. It's an amazing book. The labels are where people lose because... I was not fucked up. I was having a trauma response in my body trying to keep me safe. And so when I would go to opiates, it's because the anger in my body was overwhelming and I didn't want to hurt people and those made it go away. I didn't want to be on opiates. I wanted to not feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. And so these labels that we get into of like, oh, I'm fucked up. No, I'm not. None of us were. None of us were born this way, right? You're born with two fears loud noises and falling. Everything else is a trained behavior. But you'd be hard pressed for me to stand in front of you in the worst moment of your worst moment in front of all those people that love you. And you have an hour left on this planet. And not one person is going to stand there and tell you how you're fucked up. And not once are you going to say you're fucked up. 
at all. And we get these labels and we get these things because we think that trauma is something that's outside of us or it's something we choose. It's not. It's our body's biological response to something happening on the inside that we don't understand trying to protect us. That's why we have people say they're powerless over them. Your subconscious is driving the game and it is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more powerful than your conscious mind. And so we get really, really frustrated. But these labels are the things that get it so bad. And I mislabeled myself for years. I was not a monster. I was not bad. I wasn't fucked up. I was having and living in a trauma response that nobody could find a way out of. We couldn't see it. We couldn't get through it. The levels were crazy. And when I was saying about the doctors, I was speaking about the standard of care in the VA. I didn't yeah. re-choose those doctors just for yeah. everybody listening. Yeah. I was assigned to primary care after I got out of the hospital. And then I had two appointments, three hours each, and we did the entire story, right? Prolonged exposure. And then on my third appointment, they fired that doctor, gave me a new one. I did it again for four appointments. And then after him, I had two more doctors in the next two months as they all rotated out. And so I was getting a wound because I had to retell each doctor and then relive it every single time. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And so, yes, the point about what Gary said, a thousand percent, this is like one of the core concepts in personal development. But even if you don't understand personal development, if you've ever read Jocko, 100% ownership, right? Yep. If you've ever watched a Tony Robbins video versus victim versus responsible, if you've ever studied any level of Carl Jung or Lifespring or any of you've heard this yep. before, and I said it to you as well. You are 100% responsible for 100% of everything that shows up around you, right? And so, yes, if you are changing jobs quite frequently and you always get fired for the same reason, yeah, it's on you. If you keep making more and more money but keep the same amount, it's on you. If you've had three different relationships that have all ended the same, it's on you. But that's where that relationship with the man in the mirror comes from, right? Yeah. That's what it's looking at it for is that those are opportunities for growth, right? Like my team, my family, uh, my kids, like we have an open door policy and, and boy, oh boy, when you have the best intentions, even at this point of happiness to be the best father. And then your six-year-old says, hey, daddy, that made me sad. That is hard when you have no intention on doing it. But if I sit there and I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'm a horrible father. I'm completely fucked up. Then he's going to get a whole lot more of that. And that label is what does it. But when I can hear my six-year-old and be like, daddy, that made me sad. I can hear how that was received from him and I can make an adjustment in my behavior. That doesn't mean I failed. That doesn't mean I'm a bad dad. It means our relationship is different. And if I adjust this practice or I adjust this play or I adjust this throw, that I have a better chance of scoring a touchdown. But if every time I hear that feedback, I'm like, oh, I'm fucked up. Oh, I can't change. We're going to lose the game. And we've already lost, right? We change every single day. So these labels, I'm so bullish on it because I got trapped. And even the paradox of our work, Richard, the hardest part is that it's so easy to hide in the work because we have the words and we have the conversations and we, we have the distinctions, but they don't matter if they're just words and they're not embodied. And so I don't even let myself joke about self-deprecation. I don't even let myself play with it because if I'm joking about it consciously, it means some part of my subconscious still believes it to be true. 
or else I wouldn't be saying it. And so I don't like labels. And I think people that use them, you've got to be really, really careful because if you're going to label yourself something, and, and I know, you know, Jim Quick, who's a dear friend of mine, like Jim is the best brain guy in the world. And your subconscious programs like at a thousand times faster than your conscious. And it's programmed by the thoughts that you have and the words that you say. And yeah. it's programming a script that drives your vehicle when you think you're in the driver's seat. And no matter what, there's only two ways to fill that bucket. You either fill it with shit or you fill it with joy. And if you fill it with shit, you're going to get more shit. And if you fill it with joy, you're going to get more joy. So if you're going to label yourself, label yourself something positive. I'm an incredible father. I'm connected. I'm compassionate, right? I'm this, I'm that. Like label yourself to the things in the future because the more you can tune your reticularity the reticular activating system into those, the more you're going to find those things. And that's where you make the adjustment over and over and over. And that's where the reps come in and make the biggest difference. You know, and that's why, by the way, Ed Milet is one of my biggest influences. Ed's incredible. And his, his great book, his, his uh, book, Just One More is friggin' amazing. He talks about the RAS system. So guys, if you yep. don't know about the RAS system, you got to check out some, some of Ed's stuff. Amazing. But, you know, like you just said, self-talk is so important. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I read this book. I don't remember the gentleman's name. I wish I did. Uh, he wrote a book called From Homeless to, Million to Billionaire. And he talked about even just say five things to yourself every yep. day, 10 yep. times a day, whatever. For me, it's I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm whole. I'm yep. disease free. And I'm influencing millions of people. So if I'm was having it, a negative thought, those five things, I just rattle them off like that five or what 10 is, times a day. You know, was it Andres Pira, the book? I think it, I think it might have been. OK, and, yeah. And and I, I want to hit on what you just said, because you just nailed it. Right. You just said, I am home. I am safe. I am healthy. Right. So, like, here's the deal. And I'm going to fast forward the button for everybody. Anybody who's listening to this that was a veteran, you get this, right? Like you can think about boot camp. You can think about training. You can think about when you learn something for the first time, right? Whether it was your job or whether it was how to shoot a rifle or how to properly perform something, right? And in the very beginning, we all bitch about the military about this, right? It's like hurry up and wait, but we over-prepare, right? Like we drill it in at a level that you never forget. And then we get resentment toward it because the longer we're in, the more we hate doing that basic bullshit because we're like, we got it already, right? But the difference is in the military, they force us to keep doing it, right? And we never really get it until you're in the moment where it takes over and it saves your life. And then you have perspective on it, right? But the reason we succeed in the military is because we chop wood and carry water. Not that we find 85 different ways to chop wood. It's that we chop wood the way that works and we keep chopping it that way. And what you're talking about is the number one secret. And here's the thing, Jocko's book, Benjamin Hardy's books, Ed Milet's books, The Power of Now. I can give you an entire book catalog all on this one concept. And if you don't believe all of them, you're not going to get this. This is the easiest part of the game. Ed's incredible about this, but this is it. When you wake up in the morning, when you are starting your day, if you drill in, here's who I am, and you do it consistently and you put the behaviors in place, no matter what, you're going to chop more wood and carry more water than anybody. But if you don't do it intentionally, it's going to become accidental. And so for me, I coach everybody from billionaires all the way down to high six-figure earners, right, to get them through those levels. And the higher income they have, 
the more we work on the things we're talking about in this podcast and only those things, right? So every morning I wake up as a part of my future self-journaling practice, I wake up every day at the same, right? I wake up normally about 5 a.m. and I do morning cardio, right? Like a walk or run, but I have to earn my right to do cardio. I have to earn my right to work out. So what I do is I do a five-minute stillness practice where I sit with my own feelings and I only ask myself one question every morning, Richard. And the question is simple. Who do I want to be today? And I pick three words to describe the state of being of the man that I want to be today. And I write them down on a piece of paper. I'm a loving, passionate, trusting man. I'm an honest, hardworking, integrous man. I'm a giving it, compassionate, happy man. I just pick three for the day. And I write those three down, and those are the three that I take into my morning cardio. And I run, and I listen to a playlist that I made, and it's called Mind State Change. And it's the seven same songs that remind me of my future and who I want to be. And on that run, I repeat in my head thousands of times, I'm a loving, passionate, trusting man. I'm a loving, passionate, trusting man. And I do that every single morning. My friend Angie teaches this. She writes sticky notes and puts them on her mirror around her phone. I have my clients put it on the background of their phone. All that happens with the reticular activating system, and this is really, really simple, and everybody gets this. For those of you that have ever bought a new car that you've never owned before, like a brand, right? Like let's say you were buying a Ford Bronco, like one of the new ones, and you've never had one, right? You might be driving around your home right now, and you might see one or two, and you're like, God, I can't wait. I'm going to have a Ford Bronco, right? And then you get your Ford Bronco, and then all of a sudden you realize 600 other people in your town have a Ford Bronco and your brain's like, holy shit, did they all buy Ford Broncos? No, all 600 of them were there already, but your reticular activating system wasn't tuned into that frequency because it didn't have an anchor yet. But now that you own one and it's a part of your world, you will see a lot more of it. That is the exact same thing that happens when you talk about personal development work and why people have such a problem and they call it woo-woo and esoteric is because they don't understand what's happening. But if every morning Richard anchors in, I am healthy, I am happy, I am blank, when Richard starts going throughout his day, he's going to notice more healthy content, more healthy songs, more healthy people, and he's going to tune himself into that because he's putting his brain in that place. That's how the reticular activating system works. And so the reason I think veterans have a double-edged sword here is because if they take the intensity and the clarity and the things that they did in the military that made them successful, not the things they liked, but the things that actually worked, and then you apply that same principle, those same methodologies and that same mindset into your business, and you treated it like the government was telling you you had to do it, whether you felt like it or not, you're guaranteed to succeed. Because you would just force your reticular activating system only into seeing the things that are supportive of who you want to be. And that is really the core secret of the game. And if you study the greats and you've dropped a lot of them that you're friends with, and I respect every one of them and know them all personally, you will also realize that they all have a direct correlation between where they spend their time and how much success they have. And all of them share this one thing in common. The more success they have, the more time they spend alone. And in that bucket, they get clarity on who they want to be, how to sharpen their sword, and then they come share that with the world. And so that level of investment in self is the secret. And what we wait for is we wait till we hit some finish line. There's an incredible book from Jamie Smart. He's been on my podcast. It's called The Little Book of Clarity. 
and it eradicates toxic thinking, right? I'll start this when, I'll be this when. No, 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 it's right now. Like who you are today, how you get off this podcast and run the rest of your day is the only thing that's going to determine the level of success that you have 90 days from now, 180 days from now, and 365 days from now. Not something you do tomorrow, not something you do next week, like what you do right now. And so you take a book like The Little Book of Clarity by Jamie Smart, and then you stack it with like Atomic Habits from James Clear after you've read like Personality Isn't Permanent by Benjamin Hardy or Do the Work by Nicole LaPera. And both of those books get you to sit down and say, who do you want to be in the future? A year from now, five years from now, right? And the rich was like, I want to be healthy. And they're like, great. Well, how do you measure healthy? And they're like, well, like this. And like, great. Commit to doing those things every single day for the next 90 days Will you tune your reticular activating system into it. And then all of a sudden, all the rest of your behaviors fall into line. The thing that matters the most, though, is that when you make the commitment, you have to understand that commitment is not feelings. Commitment has nothing to do with how you feel. Commitment is I'm going to do it irregardless of how I feel because my feelings are the things that are going to prevent me from breaking through. That's commitment. And so when I say resiliency, it's about when you're in that commitment and your feelings take over and you don't want to do it anymore, that you can find your heart and find that part of you that said, this is who I want to be in the future. And I know it feels hard right now. And I know it feels overwhelming, but you have a path out of this. So just choose to take another bite. And that is the game. And no matter which way you slice it, you could pay me a hundred grand for coaching, a million dollars for coaching or a hundred million. And no matter what, I will always go back to that one thing. Those are the things that make us successful. Those are where the reps get put in, but it's about showing people and not telling them. Like your results need to speak. Your actions and behaviors are where the words come from. Not being able to say we're doing it or I wrote this down. or No, no, no. It's telling me you've done it after you've done it because you're so clear that these are the things that are going to work. And like for me, that's what success has boiled down to. But don't you know, because you've had some amazing guests. Like I said, if your podcast number's gone up, I'm taking full responsibility. <laughs> I'll give it to you, man. I'll take I'll take all of it. But to people that are uber successful, like the Ed Milets, the Gary Vaynerchuks, the David Meltzers, you know, when I had him on my show, I asked him, I said, you know, give me one piece of advice that's going to change my life. And he mm-hmm. said, gratitude and anger cannot occupy the same space. They cannot. And it, and it just... <laughs> You know, so for me, when I go to bed at night, I put my arm around my wife. I pray for my wife. And then I say three things that I'm grateful for that happened during the day. Yep. And then when I wake up in the morning, because I lost 80% of my vision three years ago, if I open up my eyes and I see something, that means it's going to be a great day. And I say out loud, God, it's going to be a great day today. So I wake up with gratitude. And I think if you go to bed with gratitude, and you wake up with gratitude, your day yep. can't help but start in a, in a good way if you're if you're waking up with gratitude and going to bed with gratitude. Well, and, and he, no, no, I 1000% agree. So like I, so I have a model that I use for all my private clients, right? It's called the Sacred Lightkeeper Quadrants. You know about it. You've heard me talk about it, right? But literally the entire model is everything that you're talking about. It's making a declaration at the beginning of the day on who I'm going to be. Not who the world said I'm supposed to be, but who I decide that I'm going to be. 
and then habits and rituals in there to align it. And then the end of the day, reflecting on that day and being like, I'm so grateful for this. Here's where I won. Here's what I celebrated. But to even give more credence to what I was saying earlier, now in the gratitude practice, you're also talking about how before you go to bed, you're tuning your reticular activating system into the wins in your day and the things that you achieved or that you saw that you're grateful for, which means when you go to sleep, you are going to sleep from a place of abundance and gratitude, which is why you wake up happy the next day. And when you say, today's going to be a great day, even if you feel like shit, you know it, and then you go make it a great day. And so all of these things, like you cannot forget that no matter what, when you build a foundation for something, and then you build a house on top of it, you still have to reinforce that foundation. Your foundation of yourself, like your physical body, your emotional body, and your spiritual body, it's quicksand. And it's only fed when you feed it. It's like a garden. And if you don't water your garden every day, it's going to die. You water your garden in the morning. You water yours first, right? You fill your bucket. You fill your cup. At the end of the day, you have gratitude and you look at how you watered your garden and how much it grew. And now, are there a hundred other plants that need more water? Sure as shit. Of course there are. And you're going to be able to fill them once you have gratitude for what you were able to fill and what you did water already and what you do celebrate. And the hardest part of this game for me, Richard, was realizing that success really is this simple. It's not about the game. It's about the practice and practicing with the same level of integrity that we expect to have on the field. And that's where the rubber meets the road, which is what you're talking about. The level of intentionality that goes into your day, like knowing that as an entrepreneur, if you're an entrepreneur, you get that you're one. You're one of one. There is no other you. You are literally going to become the number one in whatever you do as long as you want it. But in that, if you're going to be the Kobe Bryant of your industry, if you're going to be the Michael Jordan of your industry, do you have the workout and the program designed for you to do that and to hold that when nobody's looking with your gratitude, with your intentions, with your clarity, with your advocating for your health, with your consistency, because that's where the work is really done. That's where it's done. And that matters more than anything. And to hit the fast forward button, you'll also realize as an entrepreneur that when you are met with a challenge, the easiest place to solve it is to go straight to the source. And you said this earlier, and I'll say this again. No matter what you do, what you consume, what you learn, if you're listening to this, you are always the common denominator, you. And when you can change you, your view of you, how you see yourself, the confidence in yourself, every single thing you touch benefits from that change. And so that's why we're all so bullish on you. You'll notice that a stillness practice requires you to be alone. A gratitude practice requires you to be alone. Putting the reps in to design your vision requires you to be alone. That's for you to decide what you want it to look like and build a relationship with your feelings because you're training yourself for the next levels of success. And right now, if you're telling me that your life is so hard because you're making $85,000 a year, but you want to make 300 grand a year, you're not going to if you see what you have right now is hard. You have to fall in love with what you have right now, start buying back your time, because you're increasing your capacity to hold the next level of stress. That's how this game works. My buddy Alex Sharfin says it all the time. He says, you, haven't, you don't have the business you want yet because you haven't become the person to run it. But I think about all the people that are like, oh, I'm stuck at six figures. I'm stuck at six figures. I want to be a millionaire, but I hate this and I hate this. 
That's not how the game works. The shit that you hate doing right now to get to $10 million, you're going to have to do a hundred times over. And if you hate it now, you're never going to get there. If you love it now and do it every day, you'll get there a lot faster than you thought. All right. So then let me ask you a question. And I know we're going long. So we, uh, we are, we got, I have a hard stop in 10. All right. So I just want to put the last, last thing you mentioned Kobe a couple times. I'm a Kobe guy. That's my guy. Um, somebody once asked him, he says, well, what's the difference between you and meta world peace? He said, and he pointed to him. He's like, after this, he's going to the recording studio. He says, I'm going to the free throw line. Yep. He says, I, I choose my lane, but I'm dominating that motherfucker. Yeah. He says, this is my lane. Yeah. And he said, focus, follow one course until successful. So and that's, for the, last and couple that's minutes, the secret, man. Talk about that. Cause I think a lot of people they get, when they start getting a little bit of success, they start seeing the cars, the women, the houses, mm-hmm. then they lose it all because they lose sight of focus. Yeah, that's that's what it is. And, and here's the thing. I, I think required reading should be Tim Grover's books because in winning, when he yep. talks about Kobe, and here's the thing. Listen to the book for what it is, but listen to it. Like, listen to it. Listen to the work. Like, listen to the reps. Like, listen to the mindset. And then ask yourself a serious question. And be honest. If you say you want to be the Kobe of your industry and you listen to that book, I want you to be honest and ask yourself, are you putting in the same amount of effort and work into your skill set that he did to have that level? Because most of the time the answer is no, but yet we're getting frustrated that we don't have the results. Don't get frustrated. Look at what's in front of you that you're not biting and go bite it. That's what this boils down to over and over and over again. And I'm guilty as shit. I was the king of six-figure businesses, right? And I was like, oh, I'll just launch another one. Oh, I'll just launch another one. Because I knew the level of work to break through that catalyst or that, that roadblock or that plateau, I didn't want to do yet. And so then I would buy stuff and I'd overspend and I'd lose it all again. And then I'd have to start over again. And it was like this cyclical addiction to thinking that this was going to change the game. No, it's not. Right. Material things don't matter. Trust me. I've had them all. I've sold them all. I will never really have them again. I drive a fucking Subaru Outback. I own my office and my guns. And other than that, I have everything I need. Like nothing else. I don't care how much money I make. I don't care where it goes. Like it doesn't matter to me. When you want to win, you understand that the moment you make it about the finish line, you've already lost the game. That's it. If you ever, ever make it about the result, if you ever make it about the goal, if you ever make it about the number, if you ever make it about that, and you use that as your driving force, you're guaranteed to not get more of it. And you watch this in the world. You watch the world champions. Like You want to tell if a UFC fighter is going to be a world champion and defend his title? Look at what he does the night after he won, and I will tell you if he's going to retain his belt. Because one of them goes back to the gym, and then one of them goes out to party and celebrate, and they think that they've made it. You can see this across the board. And the hardest part for me, Richard, is that I was living a lie because I was telling everybody I wanted to be the best, but I wasn't putting in the work to be the best. And so I just got honest, and I was like, I don't know what I want anymore, but I do want to get better. And now I will tell you, like, I will be, and I, I will be the best in the world at what I do. But when we get off this call, I've spent four hours today working on that man, breath work and journaling and exposing and writing and sharpening my edge when nobody's looking so I can get on this one, one hour podcast and have answers 
that took me four hours to find before we prepped today. Like those are the things that I'm obsessed about now. And then they, here's the only part that my team gets mad at me about. They're just pissed that I don't tell them anymore. They're like, you need to share this shit. Like we need to tell people. I'm like, I'm too busy doing it. You want to document it, come film me, fly out here, do whatever. But right now (laughs) this work is for me, right? This is for me. And so no matter where you are in your life, no matter where you are, it is perfectly okay. I am not where I want to be either. I'm rich on paper and poor in cash because I made some bad decisions and I'm fixing it. I fixed it last week. It took me six days of focus fixed, right? But now I have clarity that in two years, I want to be in a different place and I mapped it out for where it is. And right now it feels insurmountable. So I'm not worried about it. I just ask myself, what are the first 30 bites, right? And I focus on them every single day. And when I get done with them, I might change them. I might keep them. But no matter where you are, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. No matter what. Because the moment you can open up Google Maps and put a pin in where you are, you've already won the game. Because as soon as you choose a destination, you can draw a line between them. But to put a destination in Google Maps without a starting point, hit go and see what happens. You can't get there. You require a starting destination to know. And so no matter what, this podcast, this show is your starting destination, which means that no matter where you are is great. You just have to identify where you are and pick an area in your life, one area, one bucket, one thing that you want in the future. And then draw a line between the two and break it down into a couple of bites and then make a commitment to go practice that and practice that. And not until you win, not until you finish, but until you master it and you keep it until you master it. Because only when you master it does it become a tool to go in your toolbox. Before mastery, it's just a liability that gets in the way and something else to distract ourselves from. So like if you tell me that running is important to you and you want to be a runner, I don't care what workouts you do. I don't care how often you do them. I care that you believe you're a runner every day and that you protect that and that you keep that. And so no matter where you are, you need to take this level of approach that we have and especially veterans for like this intensity, knowing that we can put in the work and knowing we can be so tenacious and knowing we can be so resilient. But you need to do that with your heart towards yourself. You need to love where you are. Because where you are got you to this moment. You can hear this now because you're here. You have this perspective because you're here. You have this opportunity because you're here. But you have to be grateful that you are here. Because I promise you, if you told me where you are right now sucks, and I said, great, you have two options. You can keep it and we'll start here or I hit reset and we go back to the hardest moment in your life. Which one would you choose? You would always choose right here always. And so take that perspective and have gratitude that you're here, but then dream a little bit and get fucking excited and be like, who do I want to be in a year? I want to be healthy. I want to have more energy. I want more clients. I want more boom, whatever that is for you, pick it, but then design. I mean, like this is the last question I'm going to ask you, because I think if somebody's listening right now, if they really want to are serious about turning their life around, they need to listen to the mind of George podcast. I would say that, but I'm going to let you say that. For me, it and I, and better when you say it. And I'm a podcaster. So yeah. for me, yeah. when, when I have those questions, that's where I go. That one, Ed Milet and Gary V are my top three. So yeah. talk about your podcast and how people can listen to it and what they get, yeah. get out of it. 
Yeah, I love it, man. And that's a that's a great transition. And I'm actually glad you said it because it, it validates a point. Here, Here's the thing that I know. I know that anybody listening to this, if you're listening to this, you already have the answers. Doesn't mean you have to do it alone, right? But I'm not giving you something you don't know. I can't run the race for you. And that's how my podcast is designed. Like it's designed to be an anchor, a reminder, something to give you a tool when you get unstuck. We focus heavily on all the things that make people successful. And Richard will tell you, my podcast is not about the highlight reels. I ask everybody about the roadblocks. I'm like, no, no, no. How hard was it? What was getting in the way? How did you think you can do it? And how did you get out of it, right? And it's about mindset. It's about customer journey. It's about relationships. It's about all the core principles that are required to have the success that we all say we want to say. But it's not sugarcoated. It's not, I can hit the easy button for you. It's not, I can do the work for you. It's like, these are the things that we should be focused on. These are the things that are remembering. Here's a way to do it. Here's a tool. And it's designed so that no matter where you are, in the world or what's coming up, you can grab an episode and it will remind you of something you know to get you back in the game. That's why we exist and that's what we do. That's why my my podcast is my proudest ever business accomplishment. Like somebody asked me the other day and they're like, of everything you've ever done, I'm like, my podcast. And they're like, no thoughts, none, none. Like that is it. Like there is nothing more valuable, nothing more powerful. And even for me as the podcast host, listening to my own shows and recording them, holds me accountable to the workouts that I know work. But I will say this, podcasts, content, books, do not mentally masturbate yourself. They don't work if you read them and put them on the shelf. They don't work if you listen to them and put them away. They only work if you listen and when you get the clarity, you stop what you're doing and you go put it into practice. That's where growth happens. I don't want you listening to my show if you're just going to listen to me and tell me how amazing it is. I want you listening if you're like Richard and you're like, whoop, doing that, 10x my business. Oh, doing that, 5x my business. Like that's where this comes down to. And the best coaches, the best people, like the Eds of the world, and I won't ever put myself on that label, but those people will never convince you that what they have you need. They will always remind you that you have the power and their content is designed to empower you not to get credit for what they're giving you. And that is the biggest, biggest point. And that is my goal with my podcast is so that you have the ability to fish whenever you want, whenever you want, and you get to give yourself credit. And that's why I made my show. So it's called The Mind of George Show. Uh, you can go to mindofgeorge.com. Uh, it's everywhere podcasts are. Um, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Amazon. Um, but mindofgeorge.com, it's called The Mind of George Show. And uh, yeah, and, and, and I, I'll say this too. I mean this, and Richard will tell you this, my team and I are here to help. I said this earlier about being in the room. Just because you're in a room full of people and you're realizing that you're the only one that wants to advocate for yourself, it doesn't mean that you have to do it alone. You win the game when you come to the table saying, hey, I need to advocate for myself, but I need some help. You win this game when you use the community. You're hearing this for a reason. If my team and I can help you, you don't have to do this alone. We can't run the race for you, but we can sure help you navigate it. We can tell you what roadblocks are coming. We can give you tools. We can give you some hydration packs. We can be like, hey, jump over that log and take a left at that log. The rest of it's up to you. But it only works if you advocate for yourself. And so I'm not saying you have to have the answers. I'm not saying that you have to have the path. You have to have the willingness to come to the table honestly and say, here's where I am. And the moment that happens, magic occurs. And so that's what I'll say about my show. And George, I just want to say, brother, thank you so much. It's been so long coming. I could talk to you for hours. 
And I brother, it's an it's an you. honor. We'll, we'll do it again for sure. I'm sure there's many more. We need yeah. to get you out to an event so we can hang in person. Yeah. And thank you to your team for putting us all together. They're amazing. They're they are. Awesome. So, so Ashley, guys, we love you. I love you, guys. Remember, like I'm a big Joel Osteen guy. He says, "Your choice: either you could become the victim or the victor. Choose the victor." I love you guys. Yep. Have an amazing day. Remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is butt up. I love you guys. George, have an amazing week, brother. Thanks, brother. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.